Kia ora and welcome to the Have to Travel Show. I am your host Helen Brahms from Cruise Planners and I am super excited today because we have our good friend John Gunning back and today he is coming from Asia Answers and we are going to be talking about Thailand and Indonesia. So we're going to go a little Asian today, it's going to be fabulous. John just got back from some great trips down there so he's going to be talking about his experiences there. So John, welcome to the show and thank you so much for coming back again. No problems at all, Helen. It's a pleasure to be back and, you know, going to another continent, but still in that Pacific Rim, so to speak. So all good. Oh, excellent. Now, these, the Asian area is an area that is just so rich in history and tradition, and their culture is very different from other places around the world. So when you first went to, let's start with, um, are we starting with Thailand or Indonesia first? Which one well, would you like to start with? Whichever is easiest. We can start in Bali if you want in Indonesia, which is you know where 80 right, 85% percent of people go. So in regards to Indonesia, we'll start there. We'll start in Bali. So what was your impression when you first arrived there? I mean, the background on Bali is I was quite fortunate, Helen, is that as being an Australian, it's really really close. So mm-hmm. almost our first international trip overseas for an Australian was always to Bali or somewhere off the coast there, in and around there. And I was lucky enough; Bali was the first place that I went to. And it has always been a saying, people go to Bali because if you can't live there, you've got to visit there as much as you can. Uh, so, And that sort of became synonymous with Australians. And now the world's picking on, up on it as being a destination you must visit because of just so much is happening there. And just the size of the country, uh, Bali itself, quite small. Indonesia is very large, but 80 to 85% of people that travel go to Bali, and that's the area. And you can do so much within an hour's drive of uh, landing into Dempasa. Excellent. So um, now, like we said, when you're when you're there, what sort of things can people expect to experience? The great thing about Bali, first of all, uh, is the people, uh, and that's one of the things that brings people back time and time again. With that being said, you have some of the best fresh produce anywhere in the world in regards to diversity of activities uh, as well. So that sort of opens things up to families, singles, uh, romance, a little bit of everything uh, and a bit of ev- uh, something for everybody who travels. So you'll land uh, and then you've got to make a decision. And for Bali, you can basically break it down into three little areas uh, in and around the airport in areas such as uh, Legion, Seminyak. You can then go further uh, southeast, across the east of the country, over to Nusa Dua. And then if you want to get up more into the highlands, you can head up into that classic part of Bali, which I think everybody's got to go and visit, uh, being Ubud, which is where you're going to learn a lot about the artists, and you're also going to learn a little bit more about the history than you are in the south at a lot of the beachside resorts. Excellent. And um, now they have absolutely gorgeous, stunning beaches there. Um, I've been looking at some of the pictures. <laughs> I am just delighted. It's a place I haven't been to yet. But I also love the, like you said, when you get up into the into the northern area, up into the mountains up there too. So mm-hmm. take us through um, a trip up into the mountains. What would that be like? Perfect. Uh, so to give you an idea, when you do land, I mean, regardless of where you're staying, you're probably only about half hour, 45 minutes from everywhere. So if you were to go south, down to Kuta, uh, down to Legion, Sebianak, you know, let's say half hour, 45 minutes to get there from the airport. Uh, and that's about the same distance, probably a little bit further uh, to get up into the mountains, uh, which is where Ubud is. 
uh, and this is an area that people flock to. So if you've got people that are considering getting away for a cultural retreat, maybe they want to do a little bit of self-healing or maybe they want to do a yoga retreat, they head up into Ubud. Now Ubud comes alive in the day. You get people from the south coming up, visitors from all across the country converge there in the day, but at night, once everybody goes back to the area, Ubud really is when it's at its, uh, its best and its classical best. So I always suggest spending at least a couple of nights up there. I find when we're doing itineraries uh, and working with people uh, from the United States, they find about three to four days uh, night stay up in Ubud is just perfect, just so they can get around to the markets, you know, go mm -hmm. off to a local artist, maybe learn how to paint, so to speak, maybe attend a day or two at a yoga retreat. With that being said, there's a number of different activities up there as well. You know what I mean? You're never too far from, you know, being going able to go whitewater rafting or getting out there, you know, and going bird watching or getting up and seeing some of the, the animals in the wild. Uh, and it's just really just a classical experience in regards to, to an Asian experience. But it's a place that people feel very comfortable in travelling to uh, because obviously English is widely spoken and you don't have any issues in regards to communicating. Oh, that's, that's handy to know because a lot of people when they're travelling to a foreign country want to know, am I going to be able to communicate with people over there? So that's a big mm -hmm. one to know that, um, that English is widely spoken over there. Now you're talking about these yoga retreats and um, meeting the artists and stuff. Were you able to do any of that when you were there? Uh, when I was there, I mean, I, I did a little bit of yoga as in regards to went up and did the hour just to say to tick the little box because at the time I travelled, I was in my early 20s, so I was more inclined to wanting to hit the beaches. But it's one of those things that I now reflect on and I'm looking forward to going back in the future uh, and being able to participate further in that kind of aspect. I've had many friends that have, uh, have gone there and two of the most famous places that they always go to is Bali and India. So for those who love sort of yoga retreats or, uh, you know, self-healing, so to speak, India and Bali are real, well and truly on everybody's list. And Bali becomes very, very popular because a lot of people use it as a, as a dual destination trip uh, as well. So maybe they're travelling to New Zealand, Australia, or anywhere else throughout Asia. Uh, you know, what I mean, a lot of our preferred carriers will do a stopover in Hong Kong and then on to Bali or uh, into Taipei and then on to Bali. So we find that people are going down, taking advantage of these activities. And when I was there, I was really lucky to be able to get up uh, and, and spend a day with an artist. And I can't draw to save my life, Helen. Uh, and <laughs> it was amazing, you know, just the little things that people can show you to make, you know, an awful drawing look a little bit better. But for those who have a little bit of an artistic touch, uh, you'd be walking away feeling, you know, 10 feet tall and bulletproof, as they say. Whereas for me, I was actually quite quite happy to put my picture uh, up on the wall uh, as opposed to normally oh, to be going to in the garbage. Yeah, so it's one of those things. <laughs> I, I got back and I showed my parents, uh, you know, like yet again, it was early 20s, and uh, they said, you didn't do that. And they said, you, you, you're a sports person. You, you're not an artistic person. I said, no, 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 I did this. It was with a bit of tuition, so to speak. So, yeah, <laughs> But the fact that they can give you enough technique to take somebody who can't draw to be yep. able to draw something that they're able to put up on the wall and be proud of, that's yeah. just awesome. Well, I, I, and I think the best thing about all that being said was just them making you feel comfortable. Do you know what I mean? When you mm -hmm. go into a situation where you're not, you know, that's not your, your, your home ground, so to speak, or where you feel confident. You I mean, if you're doing something you're good at or you're comfortable doing, you don't have any, uh, 
you know, trepidation. But when you know you're not real good at something, it's, it's a little bit harder. But they made me feel completely at home. Uh, and there, there was other people there as well, which made it feel very comfortable, people from all around the world. And that's one of the great things about uh, Bali, and especially Ubud, once you do get up into these beautiful mountain regions where you've got the rice paddies and the mountain ranges, is it's a melting pot of cultures. Obviously, you're going to get the people from Indonesia. You're going to get your international travellers from Australia, New Zealand, uh, America, and all throughout Southeast Asia. And let's not forget the Europeans. I mean, so many Germans and Swiss and English and that that I met there as well was just, just great. And everyone was there. The great thing about it was everyone was there for the same reason, to get away from it all and just have a really enjoyable time in a place that they'd heard so much about, uh, yet they'd probably never had an opportunity to do beef at before. And I know I'm probably going to get asked this question, so I'm going to ask it. Is that when you're doing these art schools with the artists, is it one-on-one? Is there a classroom full of people? How many people does each uh, artist work with? Yeah, and that, that depends. Uh, with that being said, Helen, it can be, you can, we can look at, you know, organising, you know, one-on-one. Uh, but the one that I did was a, it was a group. I would say there was probably five or six of us uh, in the okay. group, obviously. It becomes more cost-effective to be able to go off and do a group tour, uh, something like that. But in saying that, uh, Bali itself, and especially the Ubud region, you can be sitting down there, especially if you're staying for an extended period of time. I mean, you'll be sitting down having a coffee or the equivalent in the daytime, and then you're having lunch with someone, and before you know it, they're an artist in the late, uh, in the local area, and they might be inviting you back to their uh, to their gallery or back to their house, and just participating in afternoon meditation session, session followed by uh, you know some some art drawings or something along those lines. That's what I really found uh, was common. Uh, almost in okay. this part of the country, people uh, that were there, you'd talk to them and say, oh, you know, I've been up here for two weeks. How long did you plan to stay for? And this was backpackers, and they were saying, oh, only a couple of days. But they were just blown away by the beauty of the area. Uh, but in saying that, we get young professionals up there. I mean, I have sat down with 50 to 60-year-olds as well. So it has something for every age group, as long as you're open and you're feeling free to let it into your mind. Oh, that is awesome. And I've seen photographs from up in that area. And it just looks so peaceful, so tranquil. No wonder it's a great inspiration for artists. And then for the yoga it would, and the meditation and stuff, it would be awesome with that. Just that, because um, I love being up on the mountains. I mean, mm. I go up on the, you know, the mountains in New Zealand where it's just so tranquil and so peaceful and the views are just stunningly breathtaking. And looking at um, what I have seen coming out of Bali and that for that area, it looks very similar where you've got that beautiful, lush, green tropics um, and it just looks so peaceful and tranquil, you just want to sit there for days. So I yeah, can understand yeah. the backpackers going for a couple of days and saying, screw this, we're staying longer. <laughs> yeah, well, and the great thing about it is Bali is so affordable uh, in regards to, I mean, we can put you in five-star properties and you'll go, I can't believe it only costs that, do you know what I mean? It, it will blow yeah. you away the value for money that you'll see in Bali throughout. And just, you I mean, I'm talking properties that you, you know, you see across the world and you go, I could never afford to stay there. But when you go to Bali, you mean, we have Four Seasons, we have uh, the Maya Ubud Resort and Spa, and a number of different villas. And these villas will have their own little plunge pools that they'll look out over the rice paddies. They'll also have their own little area where you can do meditation in the mornings. You'll have beautiful fresh breakfast. Some of them will have infinity pools. It, it, it's just really set you up for that, you know, dreamlike location where you picture it in your head and then you actually get there and it fits uh, that realisation as well and expectation. Oh, that is, that's just, I, I'm sold. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 
point. I mean, it's yeah. It's, but it it's, sounds like it's one of those places where you um, where you you go there, you want to go prepared to spend a few days and maybe ex and have the flexibility to extend your stay if you feel so inclined to because of the area that you're in and um, being in that type of area. I mean, I know that when I'm in an environment where I've where it's just so peaceful and calmful, um, calmful, making up new words here, so peaceful and so calming that I just want to stay there for a little longer. But I don't want to yeah. overstay where I start getting bored because it's too peaceful and too calm. Yeah, so, okay. yeah, it sounds like one of those places where you need to be flexible in your itinerary as well. Yeah, if you have any of your clients out there and they're sort of trying to get a picture for it, we don't want to give too much away, but I, I ask them to Google A-L-I-L-A, -L -A, uh, which is Ayla uh, Ubud uh, Resort, and there's a beautiful photo that will come up and it has this infinity pool looking out over these beautiful misty mountains, rice paddies. And just on the side of the infinity pool, there's some nice little deck chairs where you can lay out, maybe read Eat, Pray, Love, which has made Barley quite famous with Julia Roberts, that book. If any of you have read it, that's where the uh -huh. inspiration comes from. Uh, and that just sort of sets that barley barley feel and specifically the, the Uber uh, feel. But in saying that, it's not all about the artists and that up there as well. There's so many different activities. Like I mentioned, whitewater rafting, hiking. I mean, you can be really, uh, you know, getting the adrenaline flowing as well uh, in the northern part of Bali as well. Excellent. Now we'll, we'll leave the mountains because they're so peaceful and tranquil and let's go down to the southern part of Bali. What can we okay. expect down there? This is down where the beaches are, correct? Correct, correct. And, and in the southern part, you've got your, your, your west side and then you've got your, your southeast side, okay, I'll say. And I mean, your main areas are on the west. If you've got places such as Seminyak, Legian and Kuta, okay, they're all relatively close to each other. And this will probably realistically maybe the first port of call for your clients looking at travelling to Bali. Now, okay. to give you an idea, Yakuta is more of your uh, spring break, break location. So beautiful beaches, party all the time, something always going on. So perfect for those that are probably you know on a more low-scale budget. We then have Legian and also Seminyak. It's a little bit north of Kuta, but not too far at all. Very easy to get down to the Kuta beaches. But up in these regions, this is where you've got your more your four-star, your five-star properties as well. Uh, mm -hmm. and a little bit more, I know, finer culture, for the want of the better word. So you're not going to be having partying all night. There'll still still be an opportunity to do that, but it's going to be a bit more relaxed. You know, you go down to the beach in the morning, you get your, your traditional uh, Balinese massage, and then you head back up maybe to the, uh, the restaurant on the beach and you have a nice little cocktail at lunch. And then if you're so inclined, you may head off to a place that's known as the Potato Club in the afternoon. And then you can sit potato around. Club? More of a, yeah, Potato Club. That's what it's called. So, it's, <laughs> What's the Potato it's, Club? <laughs> it's, it's this beautiful marble-style building, uh, and it's almost set up... You feel like you're going to a polo match almost. It gives that a bit more of an upper echelon feel and a lot of people sit around there and they just watch the day go by and they've got this beautiful green area in front of them, a nice little bar. Uh, and it's, it's very common with uh, people from all around the world, from all nationalities uh, that like to go there. Whereas when you go down further south to Kuta, it's more that really uh, bar tempo where there's loud music and dancing, which you know can be perfect for some clients, but we find... People that I deal a lot with, we're, we're getting them going and staying in Legion uh, and Semiac because they still have the close proximity to getting down to that wilder side of Bali, but at the same time they've got all the modern comforts uh, up there in and around Semiac. You know, you've got the W Retreat and those types of properties in and around there, your four to five star 
So they, they work perfectly. With that being said, from any of these destinations, yet again, you can go whitewater rafting, you can do hiking, obviously surfing lessons. Uh, some of the best surfing anywhere in the world you'll actually find in Bali. People flock from all around the world, be it US, Australians, to go there and practice their surfing uh, in the off-season. And to give you an idea, the, the best time to go to Bali, which is always you know, very important for people, you, know, you mm -hmm. don't want to get there, because it just sits below the equator. Uh, and the okay. great thing about a lot of the countries throughout Asia is that uh, it doesn't matter what time of the year is, there's always somewhere in Asia that you can travel to and you can get the perfect weather. Uh, and for Bali, since they're slightly below the equator and they, are, they sit in the tropics, uh, you, your peak time to travel or your best time in regards to your weather is April through to the end of October. Now, with that being said, uh, you know, you can get away with going in March, November, but outside of those sides, if you're looking at December, January, February, you'd always put a little asterisk there and pre-warn any of your clients that you know it's you're coming into the uh, the rainy season. So okay. ideally, we're looking at April through until October to set yourself up perfectly uh, for a trip to Bali, which can work out perfectly uh, for people from North America because a lot of people have their summer vacation there. So the good thing is, even though you may be going down uh, to the south you're still going to an area that you're going to get the beautiful sun that we'd get up here in North America in your summer vacation as well. Okay, now you also mentioned too that um, that Kuta was a good place, um, was like the spring break place. So right. if people want to avoid the spring break, the spring breakers, what would be a good time for them to avoid? Uh, it, it sort of goes on all year round. And, uh, I mean, in okay, regards so it's to all that, year round one. Yeah, all year round Kuta's going to be something going on. It's like 24-7 CUDA, there's something going on. I mean, uh, past, a lot of Australians have gone up there, football trips and that kind of stuff. So I always suggest Seminyak or Legian if you want to be close to what's happening but not right in the heart of it. But with that being said, if you want to get away from that altogether, you go further south down to a place called Jimbaran where you have your really, you know, up-class five-star motels and where it all began in regards to, you know, people flocking to uh, Bali and specifically to four to five star uh, upper style accommodation, you go over to the east, over to Nusa Dua, which is on the east side of uh, Bali, so to speak. With that all being said, all of these areas, Ubud, Seminyak, Kuda, Nusa Dua, you could drive around all of these within about three to four hours. So they're not far apart okay. at all. And from each point, you're only probably about 45 minutes. And I'm talking about those four or five places we mentioned. In doing a big loop, you probably do it in three or four or five hours, you know, just depending. It's not far, and that's the great thing about it. I, I find a lot more people, uh, especially if they want a little bit more privacy uh, and a little mm -hmm. bit more keeping to themselves with the classic Balinese feel, they'll head across the Noosa Dua, which is just on the east side of the area. Okay, so Nusa Dua is where they can get the cultural experience? Yeah, you can well still get all that cultural hotel. experience. They'll, they'll still have, I mean, they have beautiful sweeping long beaches over in Nusa Dua. They still have, you know, that uh, authentic, you know, massage opportunities. And from there, it's not too far. It's directly north to get up to Ubud, and you can get up there in a day, no problems whatsoever. So it just works out perfectly. And what you do find as well in a lot of these regions, we can look at arranging... Uh, cooking classes, which is great to be able oh. to get all the beautiful herbs and spices and that uh, from across, you know, Indonesia uh, coming together in one in Bali. Nice. Mm, so. Yeah, I'll That's be it. into the cooking classes and you also got me at the Balinese massage because I've had one of those before. It was amazing. But to have yeah. it actually done in Bali, 
That would be yeah. awesome. <laughs> we find one of our classic properties that we, 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 we see people coming back time and time again for is over in Noosa Dua being the Sofitel. Uh, it's a subtle blend mm -hmm. of French-style living uh, with the local culture. So people who do, do still want their modern conveniences and, and a brand that they know as well. Uh, yep. you, you sort of can't go wrong with that Sofitel brand, but you still do have that authentic, classic Balinese feel about it. And like I said, it, you know, it, it is your really five-star property uh, as well, which is just ideal. Excellent. And a lot of people say, how long do I need to, to, to stay uh, in, in Indonesia? I mean, it, it, it depends. Uh, I mean, there is 17,000 islands. Uh, as I mentioned, majority of people will spend majority of their time. Most people will travel to Bali. Uh, we can do anything from realistically a seven-day itinerary uh, through to a 14-day itinerary. I mean, we can do it longer, but we normally find that that's where it sits. People will normally look at saying three nights in Seminyak, three or four nights in Ubud, and then if they are looking at expanding it out, you may be looking at uh, flying off of Bali over to uh, Lubian Bajo, or you may be staying in and around these areas at places uh, such as Lombok, where you can actually catch a speedboat out uh, to that area as well. So they're a little bit more remote and giving you that classic off-the-island feel. Excellent. Um, now, what are some of the activities that you can do down in the southern region? Because up in the upper region, you had the yoga, you had the artist thing, you had the whitewater rafting, the hiking, those sorts of adventures. What about down around the, um, the beaches? Obviously, you've got the surfing down there. What other yeah. activities would people be able to do in this area? Uh, you, you've got, you know, your snorkeling type of activities, uh, diving opportunities down in and around this region as well. Uh, I mean, you're going to be able to do, if you wanted to go out fishing as well, uh, you could do that. Uh, I mean, you've got barracuda in and around this uh, area, baby cuttlefish and turtles. So, I mean, there's so many different marine lives. Uh, once you get into the water, put a mask on and, and put your head down, you'll be blown away by a lot of people as well, when they're down in the southern pit, you know, they may even go off and do a traditional uh, massage course. So you might learn how to give a massage uh, in the Balinese type of way. So you're on the other, other end I'm of there. it. So <laughs> they're learning how, how to give as opposed to receiving and paying for it. You're paying to give the massage, if that makes sense. So I would be more than willing to learn how to do a Balinese massage. I have no problem mm. with that at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, so I love my massages, and if I can go somewhere and try a different and learn a different technique of massage, um, mm. then I'm I'm in. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you can't get yeah. So we we find down in the south it's a lot water based, but people will also do like market tours. So you'll jump up in the morning, uh, a local guide will pick you up, and then you'll go off to the market and you'll pick up some nice fresh produce, and then you'll return, uh, and then you cook it all up. So you know I mean it, it's it, it's just gives something. Uh, it's something different if you don't want to be spending your, your time on the beach uh, all day. So pick up the food and learn how to cook it. Yep, yep. You know I mean, oh, there's I also, you know, from that area, you can go up and, as we, we forgot to mention, up in Ubud, go up and see the Sacred Monkey Forest. But you can do that from any of the locations, be it down in the uh, the resorts, uh, or be it up in the, in the hillsides of, uh, of Bali as well. I mean, and there's also hot springs in that as well that you can go off and visit. And the great thing is that they're all relatively close as well. I love the fact that everything's close and that you that you have such a change in um, in topography and geography just from going mm. from the beach into the mountains. And you've got you, know, was, you said 30 to 45 minutes. I yep. mean, that's just, yep. that's amazing to be able mm. to do that so quickly. Yeah, I mean, and you I mean just from these regions as well down there, you can do ATV and you know quad biking, uh, 
uh, options. There's also cycling tours where you jump on a, a traditional push bike and you cycle in and around the area because, as we mentioned, it is quite close. So you can do that with a local yep. uh, and you know, just have a little bit of a look around. I mean, there's even trips out to plantations, so coffee plantations. So you can go oh, out and okay. learn how. Yeah, it, it, it really has something for everybody. I mean, even if you want to become a little bit more Western, there's water parks there. So you can go off and ride the water slides all day. <laughs> I think I want to go to Barley to water parks. <laughs> ah, you see, so that, but it, it, it shows you the opportunity that there is something there for everybody as well. Okay, now in Australia you can go and you can hang out with the Aborigines and learn about their culture and stuff. In New mm. Zealand you can do the same things with the Māoris, um, like with the Tamaki Māori village. What can you do in Bali that would introduce people to the Indonesian culture? Uh, a lot of that comes back to because Ubud's known for the artists, so doing the day with the artists, uh, the cooking okay. classes, uh, and then in regards to I mean, you could go off to you know a, a church service, so to speak, as well uh, on the weekend. You know what I mean? So it's more we find immersing yourself into what they do on a day-to-day -day basis, such as the art, such as the cooking. Uh, which really gives you that traditional feel, uh, because there is, you know, uh, predominant religion throughout Bali. Uh, but with that being said, uh, there, there is a mix of uh, all religions from around the uh, the world as well. Excellent. I like the fact that you can get immersed on a day-to-day -day basis with the locals and learn their culture that way. I love that, yeah. um, because that's you know that's taking that that tourist and making them into a traveller and giving them that. Um, that in-depth experience that they're looking for. So that is just awesome. So, yeah, just, just on the religion, I mean, with the, the Balinese, predominantly Hindu, but it's Balinese Hindu. So, I mean, I, I'm not an expert on it all, but, you know, it obviously has its own little strain there as well. You have your, your Muslim and Christianity and then your, your typical Buddhism as well flowing through. But uh, Balinese Hindu uh, is the, you know, majority of it as well. So you head off and, you know, spend a half a day with someone up in, in one of the temples and that as well. Excellent. Okay, so before we move to Thailand, anything else that you want to talk about with um, with Bali? Uh, with Bali, the, the thing to remember is seven to ten days is probably your standard trip there, but we can do seven to fourteen days. Uh, look at the travel period that you're looking at going, you know, from that April mm -hmm. through until October thereabouts. Uh, and something is you're going to take advantage of getting a private guide, getting someone to show you around because it's going to be a very cost-effective area and also you're going to get the most out of it by someone picking you up at the airport, expediting or expediting your you know, trip through the customs and that. And that's just one uh -huh. of those great things that we can relay. So when you touch down, you're not sort of thinking, oh, where's my transfer? We can have someone meet you there as soon as you come out and they get you through customs and all that. Uh, and that's just one of those little things in Bali that you don't see everywhere in the world, but we can make sure that it happens uh, in Bali and it gets your trip off uh, to a great start. Oh, I like the fact that you've got someone that actually meets you there and takes you through customs. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. You don't see it everywhere in the world, it's, but yeah, Bali is one of those places that we can you know, make it happen, so you get through a little bit quicker than everybody, everywhere else. Excellent. I know there's um, like some airports around the world that offer an elite service where you mm -hmm. actually arrive through a private door, get taken through a private screening area, a private um, border patrol person to stamp your passport or whatever to leave the country to come into the country, that sort of stuff. So I know there's those sort of elite services. Um, but to actually have it when you go as an option as part of your private guide, um, as part of your private guide around um, Bali, that's that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, no, no, it, it just works, just works ideal, especially for it's a first-time person maybe travelling internationally. 
you know, not that they're worried about it, but you know, I mean, you always have a little bit of anticipation, I guess, is the easiest way to look at yep. it. And that's nothing. I can, can agree with that. Yeah, I can remember yeah. my knees knocking, and all I was doing was flying to Australia from New Zealand. Yeah. <laughs> so, especially if you've come from somewhere, maybe if it's a dual destination, you've come from Australia and New Zealand, and then it's not a culture shock, but it's going to be a little bit different. So it's nice to have someone yep. there as a bit of a warm welcome. So when you do touch down. Well, I remember going um, when we flew into into the Cook Islands that time into Rarotonga, and we got into the airport there, and there was that guy sitting in the middle of the conveyor belt. Well, not in the middle of the conveyor belt, but the centerpiece of the baggage claim area. He was sitting yep. on that little island in the, in the and sitting there just playing the guitar and singing away, and then saying hi to all of those that he knew that were coming in through customs. I mean, you were standing there in line waiting to go to the passport thing, and he's standing there waving, "Hey, John, haven't seen you for a while. How are you doing?" <laughs> you know. Just, exactly. talking, just that's, calling that's, out to people. Yeah. <laughs> you know, how was your trip to New Zealand, or how was your trip to Australia? You know, wherever they were going to and that sort of stuff. And it was, um, it was kind of, it was, it made you feel like you were coming into something that was part of a family. It was, it was a really cool experience. Oh, so to have somebody that can meet you and take you through um, what's going on and what's happening and that sort of stuff and help you get through that, that's is just, um, that's just awesome. Yeah, just to have that, you know, you, you hit the nail on the head there, Helen, but just feeling comfortable and then going, ah, okay, I'm all right, everything's going to be fine, I don't have to worry too much about it. Yeah, absolutely. And it doesn't look like Bali is a very big island either. You said, what, was it three hours to drive around it? Yeah, I mean, they do all those places we covered. I mean, it's only, don't don't quote me officially on this, but it's probably only about 100 miles wide. It's probably not even that wide. Uh, top of my head, and then it, it it goes from the south to the north. It's a bit further, but in saying that, you don't normally go much further north than Ubud, which is only about that hour's drive. Excellent. Okay, so now let's go to Thailand. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A little bit different on the culture. Um, and this one is north of the equator, so mm-hmm. um, you'll get different climates and all of that, and a different time of year for the peak season. So tell us about Thailand. Yeah, so so Thailand, yeah, just you know, roughly the same uh, north as what uh, in Indonesia is south. Uh, with Thailand, the best, the best time is going is the opposite time to what Bali was. So November through until April, uh, that's that's your peak times for travelling to Thailand. Now, when we talk about an Asian country, uh, Thailand's the first one that sort of jumps out to people. It's it's the most synonymous and it's the most well visited as well uh, when you start talking about numbers uh, dropping into a location and Thailand is a perfect location for everybody because it literally has everything you mean you have the big city of Bangkok which is where unless you're flying somewhere from within Southeast Asia you're going to fly into Bangkok uh, mm-hmm. and Bangkok is home to around about 10 million people so it's a large wow. city. Yes. <laughs> So yet again, there are more people in that city than half the pop. You know, it's not even not even half of their population equals the population of New Zealand. Yeah, I know. It's, it's amazing. It's like wow. Uh, it, it sort of blows your mind. It blows your mind. Uh, with, with that being said, with Thailand, you fly into Bangkok. Yet again, take advantage of a private guy because you want somebody meeting you at the airport. You know what I mean? And just getting mm-hmm. you out of what I will uh, term organised chaos. Uh, is what you'll find in Bangkok, you know what I mean? Uh, the great thing about Thailand, it, it has a beautiful city, it has some great places to visit, it has a beautiful river system that runs through it, but navigating it as a first time or even a third or fourth or fifth or sixth time, it, it can be a little bit of a uh, over, uh, overwhelming uh, 
scenario. So definitely get a guide, get someone picking you up at the airport and going from there. I mean, they do have a decent public transport system, uh, but you don't want to probably be trying to take that on uh, on your first trip down to Thailand. And yet again, uh, depending on how comfortable you are traveling around. Uh, as you know, I was just down there a couple of, probably about a month or two ago uh, with eight other uh, you know, uh, people from out the from out from within USA traveling down there. We, we had a great time, and we one night we got caught in the traffic because, as you can imagine, with 10 million people, uh, and we got off. It's <laughs> a lot of, of traffic. <laughs> it is a lot of traffic, and there's a lot of motorbikes, a lot of cars, and if you know, I mean, we were down there in the in the wet season. Uh, so when it rains, it can become a little bit of a, uh, a traffic nightmare. So we jumped on the public transport, which was, was good fun when you're travelling with you know five or six other people. But if you're mm -hmm. just one, one or two people, definitely get that private transfer. With uh, Bangkok, so much to do in Bangkok. You could spend you know a couple of weeks uh, in, in Bangkok. But you mean the great things about Bangkok that you want to do is you want to get out onto the canals. As we said, there's a river system that runs through uh, Bangkok. Uh, it's often referred to as the Venice of the East uh, because it has okay. all these little canals, which just is very engaging. But it's also where a lot of the uh, economics gets done. So you'll have shopping okay. markets down there. So you'll have little, uh, men, women, ladies, children. They'll be going down these canals in boats and they'll have all their fresh produce that they've got from the day. And then they'll be selling them and making their wares out on the canals, uh, which is just great and, and very fascinating to see. You know, And just off to the side of these canals, you'll be able to go off and watch a traditional puppet show. Uh, which you'll see nowhere else in the world, but but in Thailand, and it just yeah, it's really just uh, mind-boggling to think that they're in these little houses that you wouldn't find by yourself. Uh, you have to go on a little speedboat to get down there, or a little uh, you know other type of vehicle, be it a little tuk-tuk or something. If you take it around the roadways, which just is a great way uh, to check out the city. What I love about Bangkok is that there's, there is some big areas, but there's so much just independently run by just little merchants as well that you can mm -hmm. engage yourself by going to the markets to a puppet show, and of course you'll then want to go to the iconic places of Bangkok, such as the Royal Palace, uh, Wat Tho, where you'll be able to see the hundred and 50 foot long, uh, you know, lying down Buddha uh, as well. Okay. Because obviously it's, it's a fascinating country. A lot of respect to their kings and their queens uh, throughout the years. Uh, they're actually in a one year mourning process at the moment because their king just passed away. Uh, so, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, so they shut down the palace there for a while. It's back open now. Uh, but yeah, in one year, year mourning. And to give you an idea and it gives you an understanding of the people, uh, Australia was going to play soccer there. Uh, and they said, hey, Australia can still come and play soccer. And this is just the tie way. Uh, they said there'll be no cheering. So you can go and watch the game and you can support your team, but no one was allowed to cheer because you're in this year of mourning at the moment. Uh, but oh, wow. everything else is, yeah, it's just very interesting. Uh, so you have a little bit of a read about any culture before you go, and uh, the Thai culture is very, very interesting. But like I said, no problems at all with getting into Bangkok, getting a private transfer, checking out the museums, checking out the Royal Palace, getting onto the... Uh, the, the Venice of the East into the waterways, watching a puppet show. Uh, and then you can also do trips from there down to the Mekong Delta as well, uh, which is basically the lifeline of Asia, that major river system that runs all the way through, you know, such areas as Thailand, Vietnam, all the way up through Cambodia and that as well. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and there's so several um, um, river cruise companies that do the trips along the Mekong. Correct, correct. Yeah. So, 
we, we find, yeah, we, we get a lot of people that inquire about uh, using the service that you mean, obviously you can provide, that when they finish that trip along the, the Mekong and they want an extra couple of days, be it in a, uh, a Penang Pang in Cambodia or as, you know, specifically in a Bangkok or somewhere like that, just to be able to explore, you know, these countries via a land option. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Okay, so, that, so where do we go to from Bangkok? Bangkok, uh, you'll either go north or south. Uh, predominantly, first of all, we'll try south. Uh, yet again, we're going to okay. head down to the beaches. Uh, so many different beaches. Now, close to Bangkok, just in and around on the southeast peninsula there, uh, on the Gulf of Thailand, is Pattaya. Uh, quite popular. It has a little bit more like a cooter feel to it, uh, to what I explained before with Bali. So it's very much a party atmosphere. If you're looking for a more of a traditional way, uh, and way that a place has become quite synonymous, uh, is Phuket which is further okay. south, down in and along the coast. It's on the, on the other side of the Gulf of Thailand, so on the right-hand side of the Finn Strip, if you're looking at a map of Thailand, you'll have the Gulf of Thailand, and on the left-hand side, you'll have the Andaman Sea, and down the bottom of there, there's a place called Phuket, and Phuket is synonymous for having some of the best resorts, having some of the, gr the best experiences to get out on the waterways, and if anyone's ever seen the movie The Beach with Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, a lot of mm -hmm. that movie was shot down in and around this part uh, of the country uh, as well. With that being said, close to Phuket, there's another little destination right on the waterways called Krabi as well, uh, a little bit smaller. With that being you know, taken into account, yet again, it depends what your clients may be looking for. If they're looking for uh, you know, very much a relaxed, they may look at Krabby if they're looking for something that's got something going on, but still not to that, you know, party, party atmosphere of a Patea. Phuket mm -hmm. is perfect. And an area that I went to and I found absolutely spectacular is a little island down here, and it's called Koh Samui. And it was just great okay. to get out there. Some really good snorkeling down there, some really good diving opportunity, you know, to go out in speedboats, go out and see uh, marine national parks. Yet again, has all of the the creature comforts that you could want if you need them. But at the same time, we can then also look at more of an authentic uh, stay as well uh, down in that region. Okay, so we've got beaches, we've got snork, we've got snorkeling, we've got fishing. Um, what else in that area? Uh, down in that region as well, I mean, you've got an opportunity to go off and see some of the sites, some of the temples, you know what I mean? There's so many temples that are spread, you know, with the Buddhism culture spread throughout all of Thailand as well, and you'll see that. Uh, also, down in uh, Phuket, uh, there's, a, there's a famous festival that's held each year, and it also commemorates these uh, two ladies, uh, two ladies who basically fought off uh, some inv an invasion of Thailand many, many years ago, and it commemorates them. The reason being is that a lot of people used to shelter in this part of the country because a lot of the trade traders from across the world would go through this area, be it Arabia or places throughout Europe. They'd stop here in Phuket, and these two ladies actually fought off people that were trying to take over Phuket. So each year they commemorate these people, and you'll see statues of them as well in and around this region. Uh, so you'll see a lot of significance in regards to the, the Thai history, but also in regards to the Buddhist culture as well. Oh, awesome. Anything yeah, that teaches so. new culture and that I love. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you can also get down into the Phuket region to the, the Gibbon Rehabilitation Centre. So, you know, you can get out and see the way in which they're helping the beautiful gibbon get back into, you know, into their Those uh, animal Those are funny monkeys. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, there's helicopter rides down in here. This area is real, you mean, uh, in the Phuket region, I mean, uh, as well. Uh, as we mentioned at Phuket, 
and, and Krabby, you know, Krabby, you've got your private transfer to get over there a little bit more relaxed, okay? There's canoeing trips that you can do over to a place called Koh Hong, okay? It's one of the southern Thailand's most beautiful islands, okay? And, I mean, it just really depends what your clients are looking for. You I mean, Phuket's the most popular, uh, but, you know, Krabby and then also Koh Samui is a, is a great alternative as well for those that are looking for a beachside getaway. Something I will state, depending on what time mm -hmm. of the year you go, if you're right on the cusp, of it being a wet season or a dry season, it can determine if you go on the east side uh, of Thailand, so the Gulf of Thailand, to the west side of the Andaman Sea, uh, because there's a there's slightly a different period there. It won't get as wet uh, in the Gulf of Thailand, so that's something we could oh, look at as well if your clients are going. Even though they're both uh, at realistically the same height, it's just on what side of the Gulf they're on depends whether or not they're going to get a, a, a more rains and it normally gets about two months less on the Gulf of Thailand so we can function up an itinerary that fits into that perfectly. That's almost, um, it depends I guess which way the winds are blowing as to exactly. why they get the difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So a lot of the time, yeah, the, the, the hills that run down, right down through that little centre of Thailand will block it off. Uh, but it's it's something that, you know, you do need to take into account if people are right on that cusp of the shoulder season of travelling. Excellent. Well, that gives them, like, they can go, like, a couple of months longer. They may still get wet, but it won't be as wet as if they were on the other side. Exactly. And it's, it just it frees them up and just gives people an idea that they know, the people that they're talking know know exactly what's going on. Because I've seen people come back and go, oh, why didn't you put me on the west side? And say, hey, well, we didn't book your trip. You need to have spoken to Helen or someone equivalent. We could have made sure that that didn't happen. <laughs> it's after the fact. It's after the fact sometimes, Helen. So that's all it's good. always after the fact, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It's always, always. But that, that's all good. That's It's all about travelling and learning something. So that's the south. I mean, the other area that people look at, and I guess it's the epicentre of culture. It's the, you know, it's what people think about when they think of Thai people, they think of Thai cuisine, is to head up into the north and to go to one of two places, uh, either Chiang Mai or Chiang Rai, uh, which is right up the top of the, uh, right up the north of Thailand. So it's up into that area, you know, where you get Lao and uh, Mirama, which is the old term for Burma, uh, sorry, Burma, uh, okay. where it comes together, you know, with all, the area that's known mm -hmm. as the Golden Triangle. Up in here is where you're going to see some of the most famous temples spread throughout all of Thailand. It's also where you're going to see the, the mountain ranges. And this is the place that you do your traditional cooking techniques as well. So you go off and yet again, similar to what we mentioned in Bali, but I, I feel like that this is probably the best place almost in the world to learn to cook in Chiang Rai and Chiang, Rai, uh, Chiang Mai. If you like Thai food, you know, be it a Pad Siu or a chicken, you know, a Pad Thai or something along those lines of even a curry, you know, a red or a green or a yellow curry, you need to learn to cook it up in Chiang Rai and Chiang Mai. You know, this is where basically where a lot of these meals began. Excellent. Um, I know several people that like cooking classes and they like learning the authentic cooking techniques. So this mm -hmm. would be a good place to send them to learn that, especially since they like Thai food. Um, yeah. No, it's, it's a little on the spicy side for me. <laughs> is it? I love it. I love it. So, yeah, that's, that's fine. I mean, yeah, great markets up here as well. I might have a spicy personality, but when it comes to the palate, it doesn't like spice that much. <laughs> no? Okay, okay. Well, what about Brad? Does he, does he like a spice or is he a bit more on the... He likes it. He likes his spice. He will eat Thai food with no problem at all. Me, I'm mm -hmm. just, I just, I gotta go to the spice, and I'm like, I have like zero tolerance for spice. So, okay, okay, yeah. yeah. Some of the Thai people will look at me in the in the Thai restaurants and stuff, and go, "You've come to a Thai restaurant, and you want non-spicy." <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
that's but they do it in a very pleasant way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, okay. Uh, it, it, sorry, sorry, Helen, yep, go on. Okay, so I was going to say, so you've got the traditional cooking classes, got the mountain ranges, so the mountain ranges, we can go hiking through those. Mm-hmm. Go hiking through those. Something that's really diverse up in this part of the world. I mean, something that I, if you can afford to do it, do a balloon ride as well over the top of Chiang Mai and Chiang Rai. And the other opportunities that you can actually go off and become an elephant owner for a day. Now, that means you're going to learn on how they're rehabilitating these animals, uh, the way in which they manage them, and take care of them health care firsthand. Now, I'm not talking about elephant rides. I'm talking about getting back out there, getting elephants to feel comfortable around humans. Where, because unfortunately, we do see different places around the world they've been mistreated. But up in this part of the country, you go off there, you bathe them. You know, you're not riding them. You're going off and you're learning on how they're going to get them back rehabilitated so that they're going to live their natural way. And it's just an experience that people raves about that they're giving back to society and giving back to, you know, these beautiful creatures as well. Now, um, I know you and I talked um, before this call regarding the elephant rides and mm-hmm. explain to us why your um, Asia Answers doesn't offer the, the elephant rides just so people understand it's not something that... Um, that you, uh, well, just explain to it why the company yeah. doesn't... No, yeah. no, no worries at all. Helen, the, the good thing about it is uh, our company reached out to PETA, which everyone uh, will understand. It's all about animal rights, okay? And mm-hmm. you may see various rights around the world, be it with elephants, you know, be it India or in Asia, and they could be okay. But we just don't know and we're unable to do the due diligence to be say if someone's yes or no. So the company as a whole, just to be on the safe side and to make sure that we're treating these animals the best we can, is that we don't offer those rights because we don't want to be promoting something for the mismanagement of these beautiful animals. We will do anything that we can to help these uh, these guys uh, in regards to making sure that they're treated well, and that's why we do a program similar to this. And I'm not going to say you're not going to have clients who will travel there and they'll be able to do that, but all we're saying is we're leaving that up to you. We're not going to participate and sign up to something that we don't know sort of the full extent and to how these creatures have been uh, treated. So right or wrong, we, you know, we're letting people make their own decision and they can make a better decision when they're there firsthand as opposed to us pre-booking something and things change. And we want to just make sure that the elephants are taken care of and the best way we can, we can do that is that we don't include it into any itineraries uh, unless it's something such as this where it's not riding an elephant and having something strapped to their back. It's actually helping them and helping them, yeah. I like yes. the fact that um, people can go and they can still learn about the elephant and they can still mm-hmm. be around the elephants and learn to care for them and that sort of stuff because uh, they are magnificent creatures. Yeah. They I mean, are absolutely magnificent. Yeah, and this part of the country, there's so much to do. I mean, there's over 300 Buddhist temples up here. It's often cited as the birthplace of Thai culture in Chiang Rai, Chiang Mai. I mean, uh, and saying that as well, you can go off and see some of those remote communities as well, get up into the hillside tribes. Uh, I'm sure many people have watched uh, National Geographic or the equivalent, and you see those people with those big earrings, you know, those mm-hmm. huge big earrings where you could put your fist yep. through it. You know, you can go yep. up and visit hill tribes like that. It's so much more interesting than, you know, uh, than riding on an elephant's back. You'll still be able to see the elephant. So that's the way we're looking at it. Get out and immerse yourself in the culture. Learn about the people. Learn about the animals. Uh, and then we can make sure we're giving back. So Chiang Rai, Chiang Mai. I like the give back side. I like the give, yeah. back, the give back side of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and we find once people know that, and we're not saying you're not going to have an opportunity to do that, you make your own decision on that. So that's great. Yeah. Uh, and 
with that being said, there's so much to do in this part of the country, uh, Chiang Mai, Chiang Rai. And people often ask, well, what's better? Well, which one would you prefer? Chiang Mai is just a little bit uh, larger. There's a little bit more going on. Chiang Mai is just a bit more relaxed. Okay, they're, they're not too far apart. You know what I mean? They're probably a couple hours drive. I mean, Chiang Mai is probably the most popular one of them just because there's a little bit more going on. You also have a bit more of diversity in your accommodation options as well. I mean, uh, a great property that you, you know, if your clients are looking at checking something out online, you know, prior to them booking it all with you, check out 137 Pillars House. That's just a taste of what we can put together. And the great thing is we have some great rates as well, uh, which is a beautiful 1889 structure. Uh, so check it out, 137 Pillars House. 1889 structure. Oh, I've got to go check that out. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a gorgeous property, gorgeous property. So... Now, um, in Thailand, they do these absolutely gorgeous, beautiful cultural dances and stuff. Is there a place where we'd be able to go and learn that while yes, we're in Thailand? Yes, dance. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you'll, you'll see that in uh, Bangkok, but more so, I would suggest, traditionally-wise, when you're up in the north. Okay, uh, it's south as well in Phuket. Don't get me wrong, in and around the beach regions. But if you want that authentic and you know that someone has learned it through the right, you know, uh, I guess lineagery, uh, for want of a better word, or you know, passed down from generation to generation up in the north. Whereas you'll find in the south, it's a little bit more commercial. Anywhere you have a lot of beaches and people socialising, you know, sometimes it can get, become a little bit diluted. So I always suggest anything like that—a traditional dance, uh, traditional art and craft—always try to do it uh, up in the north for Thailand specifically. Uh, even you know your puppet shows and various other. Uh, mm -hmm. ways in which the, the Thai people communicate and tell their stories, uh, I find in the north or in Bangkok, uh, sort out somebody who knows really, really specific about it, whereas opposed to in the south, go to the beaches, enjoy the beautiful waterways, enjoy the, na the nature, uh, and leave your authentic experiences to the north or into the Bangkok region. Excellent. Okay, so realistically, how many days should somebody, if they're looking at, they may want to go... Um, I don't know how long the country is or how long it takes to get from Bangkok up into the north or Bangkok down to the south. So realistically, if somebody wants to do both the north and the south, how long would they be looking at? Yeah, I mean, it's a flying destination. Uh, there are roads and okay. that throughout Thailand, but I'd never suggest self-driving uh, in Thailand. It's just, it just, it's something you don't need to be worrying about. I, I, it, it's a flying flop destination, so you fly from one destination to the other. The Australian terminology, fly, flop, spend a couple of days there. Uh, for us, I, and I find that this works ideally, you're probably looking at a 10 to 11 day stay uh, in Thailand, and that's three nights in Bangkok, three nights in Chiang Mai, Chiang Rai, three nights, four nights in Phuket. So there you're looking at 10 nights, and then you've got an extra day if you want to put an extra day in there. If you've got a little bit longer, if you've got two weeks, and Thailand is a standalone destination, that's when you look at heading across to uh, to Krabi or over to Koh Samui. Uh, so you're still getting your islands, but you're getting more that remote uh, island feel. Some people, what they'll do is they'll substitute out that extra three days for Krabi or Koh Samui, and they'll do Chiang Rai and Chiang Mai, and that can just come back to what, what people are looking for. If they're looking for temples, authentic massage, that type of thing, they'll then do more time in the north. If they're more looking for beach relaxation but want a taste of culture, they'll then look at doing you know six or so days probably in the south uh, at two destinations. But you're probably looking at a minimum of a 10-night stay in Thailand to get a really good overview of the north and the south because Bangkok, you know, you need at least, you need a day there just to get yourself used to the uh, the mayhem. Uh, <laughs> <then you> <laughs> Organised chaos. 
<laughs> exactly. Organised chaos. Organised chaos. So. I like that. Organised yeah. chaos. <laughs> yeah. People go, well, that doesn't make sense. Well, it does when you go to Thailand and uh, other places throughout Asia when you're trying to cross the road. So. Yeah, I wouldn't even know which way I was supposed to be looking. <laughs> I would need someone. I mean, I've been in the States almost 20 years and I still can't remember when I get sent at the <laughs> curb, I'm like, unless there's a car on the road, I'm like, now am I looking left or am I looking right? <laughs> <laughs> Well, you're still with and, us, which is a good thing. Yeah, and and if I'm if I've had a very hard long day and the brain's not feeling quite right, then it's it takes me a couple of minutes to get there, and I, I sometimes I'll actually wait for a car to come past. <laughs> you're wearing my wearing. Yeah, because sometimes I'm just a little confused at times. But um, but anyway, so um, so we've talked about Bali, we've talked about Indonesia, which is awesome. Two mm. amazing destinations to go to. Each requiring anywhere from um, what seven to ten days in Bali. We're looking ten to eleven nights in um, in in Thailand. Very different cultures, mm-hmm. um, but two amazing places, and um, with so much to offer. I mean, we just in, in Indonesia. There's a lot there in Indonesia, but we just touched on Bali, just that small portion of it. Wonderful. And I know that there's many other places in Indonesia that we could probably go and talk about that um, people want to go to and stuff too. But for today, we just covered barley, just a small part of it. And um, but thank you, John. Um, this is just great information, and um, yeah, I can't wait to get over there and go exploring. All I'd like to say, Helen, is if anyone's listening to this podcast and they need more information, get in contact mm-hmm. with you, and I'd love to send you some brochures, these Asia Answer brochures. I know you've got a couple sitting in front of you now. Oh, these Asia Answer brochures are gorgeous. The pictures in here are phenomenal. So we have, you know, perfect, what we think is a perfect seven-day, 14-day itinerary for your first time or maybe your second time uh, journey to uh, Asia. Uh, you know what I mean, obviously everything changes mm-hmm. and we customise it to working with you, with your clients, to exactly what they need. Uh, but Absolutely. This is perfect in regards to get some inspiration by flicking through through the book. And the two areas that we covered today, realistically, it makes it a 12-month vacation because the off-season is the on-season and vice versa of these two areas because they just sit either side of the equator, north or south. Absolutely. And I like the fact that um, that for my people who like to get out of town during the summer and they want to go to something, but they don't want to go to Europe when everybody else is going to Europe, there's yep. places, you know, they don't want to stay in the northern hemisphere. They want to go somewhere different where it's not going to be as crowded. That, um, especially with being during summer vacation and stuff. And of course, if they go down to Australia, and New Zealand, they're now into the winter months down there. And if they're skiers, then they're they're set for down there. But if they're not, they want to go by the beaches and stuff. Then Bali's a great alternative for them for that. Exactly. Exactly. So. Yeah. I mean, I just so, just a couple other countries that we cover that we can work with you very closely with uh, Japan, India, uh, Laos, Cambodia, Vietnam, Hong Kong, China, Taiwan, Malaysia, Singapore, Philippines, Korea. You know, just anywhere in Asia we can sort of help you cover off, and we have a team that work very closely with yourself to make sure it's the perfect trip of a lifetime. Absolutely, and I've got this, and like like you said, we've got these gorgeous brochures that are about um, eighty to ninety pages in length with gorgeous pictures in there. They've got sample itineraries in there just to go and experience. And all those countries that John just mentioned are all in this one brochure. So if you would like to um, find out more about um, Asia Answers and some of the trips that they offer, especially down to the place that we've talked about today, Bali and Thailand, then please just go to connectwithhelen.com, set up a time 
for us to get on the phone, have a chat about these places. And John, I just want to say thank you so much for being on the show today. It has been it has been a very eye-opening experience, and um, I honestly can't wait to get down to Asia and start exploring these places. And I know that um, we're going to be having a group, talking about a group thing down to one of them soon, because we're going to be doing one down there next year. So, um, well, if you want more about that information, you know, just stay in touch with us, and we can tell you about any group trips that we're going to be having going down there. So if you don't want to go by yourself and explore, you'll be able to come with a group and have that safety in numbers thing if you're um, happier traveling that way. So John, thank you again so much for um, coming on and talking about Thailand and Bali today. I appreciate it. No problems at all, Helen. I, and it's a place that I know that you'd love because I've traveled with you and you're a great person and you're a great traveler. So yeah, hopefully we can get down there at some time in the near future. Absolutely. Well, until next time, hey, Conera. Bye for now.